Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Well, good morning again. It is good to have uh, uh, you with us this morning. And, uh, and for our class uh, this morning, we are going to be covering uh, another aspect of David's heart. We're going to be covering uh, David the sinner and the contrite heart that he had. We'll be talking about David and Bathsheba. So if you would, in your Bibles, please turn to Second Samuel chapter 11. It's where we will start here momentarily. Um, so, I, um, so this class, I, I was taking a look at my notes that I'd written for it. I've got about 10 pages of notes on this, which means this is going to be a two-part <laughs> class right here. So this will carry on into next week. Um, I really hate that. I would have loved to have done it in one straight sitting uh, if I could. Uh, so uh, with that being said, uh, can't have one part without the other. Uh, involved in it. So I encourage you to be here again next week, or if you can't make it next week, to try to listen to it online uh, so you get the, the full presentation. Um, so as far as the rest of this class is going to go, that will wrap up me uh, for this class. The last two Sundays of the month, Bill Eads is going to be uh, teaching. Uh, those, I will probably be out of town uh, for both of those Sundays. So uh, that means after this we will be covering David as a servant, or at least I plan us to be. And uh, I plan the class for 12 Sundays because usually you have one where you get a special speaker, right, and you don't meet together, but that hadn't been the case this quarter. So good news for you, you get a bonus lesson uh, out of the, the class. So I, uh, I look forward to, to hearing uh, that later on. So, I, um, um, so in teaching the class this quarter on David, certain lessons stand out from others on that. I remember making the comment when we were talking about David in terms of prophecy, being the seer, I said that was probably the most unique class that we were going to do. Uh, I think that possibly today's class may be the most important one uh, in it. Uh, could be the crown jewel of the class. I don't know. I say that humbly. That'll be your opinion up for you to decide whether that's the the case or not, but I think it is probably safe to say that every class that we have done in this quarter has been leading to the class that we're going to do today um, on that. So what I've tried to do in this class with David is to cover different aspects of him and kind of bring him to life for you. See David as a real individual, as a real person um, in which uh, he lived. And... Uh, and I hope that I've been successful in doing that. I want to go ahead and, and restate something that I said at the very beginning of this class. I want to state that I like David. And I would have wanted to have known David. I'll go even further than that. I want to repeat and say that I love David. And one day I will get to see him. But do you get what I'm trying to tell you? David is my friend. 
So we come to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I can't believe what I'm hearing. David, this man that I have looked up to, this man that I have talked about, is in an affair with another man's wife, Bathsheba, the wife of one of his most loyal men that he has. I don't believe it. But it's true. It's from the word of God. It must be true. And Bathsheba's with child and Uriah's been gone that long. I don't know how to process all of that. And it's such bad timing because because we're all mourning the death of Uriah and he died heroically in battle. Wait. You mean there's more? Uriah's death was no accident? Was it noble? They meant to pull away from him and leave him there to die? And David so ordered that? How can that be? David wasn't at the battle. He had the message sent to Joab to do that? He sent it by Uriah's own hand? Oh, I don't know how to take all of that. The pain of that makes me sick thinking about it. Week after week, I've come up here and I've extolled the virtues of this great man. And now this? Do you realize how embarrassing that is? I can't tell you how disappointed I am. Oh God, what would you have me to learn? What is it that you would have me to do? Let's hang on to that thought. Right there. So, I know that wasn't typical. Talking that intensely. And maybe that bothers you so forth. If so, I, I, humbly, I humbly apologize. But we've talked about David and all the great aspects that were of him. And, and I wanted to, like the effects of sin, bring that down unexpectedly, suddenly and quickly. Say, Ben, you're, you're, you're taking this too personal. Well, you better believe it's personal. I'm not just thinking of one person. I'm thinking of several that I've known throughout the years. And I don't know if you're like me, when I get to chapters 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel and I read through them, you know, I can't help but get a, a feeling of disappointment inside of me. I don't know if you're like that when you read through that. You've you spent reading about David and 1 Samuel and all the good things he did and, and then the first 10 chapters of 2 Samuel, you're, you're on a roll and then you come to that and it's like, what am I reading? 
It can be pretty tough to read that, kind of tough to put this, this class together. Uh, but these chapters are here for a reason, and I want us to learn from them. So I, I did what I did at the beginning of that because, because I wanted you to feel that. We're not talking about some juicy story of intrigue. We're not talking about some simple theological exercise. We're talking about real lives with real sin and real consequences. And it's ugly. And we're also talking about real repentance, real hope, and real restoration. And it's very beautiful. So in looking at this account and this story, there are several things that we have to consider in looking at it, right? How did David get into such a predicament? How do we avoid getting into that predicament with ourselves? What, what do we do when we have sin in our lives and how do we approach God? What about the sins of others? What do we do when we have disappointments? And I hope that um, that will be very beneficial uh, in going over that. So, because... When we look through this, we must put ourselves, we must see ourselves in David. We must see others in David if we are to get all that God wants us to get out of this. And so, getting to chapter 11, let's talk about how David got into this. And I'll admit, I really don't want to discuss that. This is the kind of stuff that you whisper behind closed doors, you know. Um, But do so we must. This is something that happened, and this is something that we must learn from. And so, uh, we get to chapter 11. David has reached the peak of his reign in Israel. And uh, so, I've described some of what this account already had in chapter 11, but we'll fill in some other details that I omitted um, in there. So it starts off with David, and his army is out at battle, and he's out on the housetop. And Bathsheba is bathing, and she's able to be seen through a window, and David sees her uh, there. So, you know, some people will take a look at that and try to make an application how David maybe should have been with his army, and that he may have been at an idle time, and and that we shouldn't be idle, that gives chance for temptation to come on us. Well, the principle there is certainly true uh, to that. I myself don't go quite so f- that far with David. So I tend to look at it as he's minding his own business. It was pretty common for people to get on the rooftops of their houses in that culture, and that time, especially in the cool, in the evening, at night. He's just minding his own business, and temptation presents itself to him. You know, that's also true. As well, both those ideas are true about how temptation is. And, a, uh, and here we have an occasion where David faltered with that. He started out with lust, and that lust consumed him. We talked about David as being a man after God's own heart, and people wrestle with that largely because of this account here. Well, clearly he isn't a man after God's own heart right now. 
and you think about the principles that we learn from other places in the Bible. Um, David should have thought about Joseph at a time when Potiphar's wife was trying to tempt him and to seduce him. And Joseph was wise enough to leave and to flee from that. David could have thought of that. He could have learned from that. Um, he should have stopped that right there. Then we think about the New Testament and the things that, that Jesus has taught us that would help us to avoid situations like this. So I, th- I think of the Sermon on the Mount, right? He, you know, there Jesus was trying to um, address the Jews on, on the question that such things originate in the heart. So if you go to Matthew 5 and verse 28, we'll go up to start in 27. You have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. David should have guarded his heart at that manner and uh, been able to turn away from that by so doing. Now, Matthew 15, verse 19. Jesus here addresses this thing uh, as well. So verse 16, are you still without understanding? He's talking to Peter. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. For they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. There are things, these are things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. This is literally going to the heart of the matter uh, there. So, um, another thing that I think of when you think on David and Bathsheba. So, Outside of Adam and Eve, um, eating of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, this may be the most famous sin in all the Bible, or at least certainly in the Old Testament. Uh, It is, to me, the classic example of a principle that happens uh, with sin and how it grows in one's life, where one sin will lead to another one. Uh, and, And that's so clearly the case with David there. So this started out as lust. Lust is not restrained. That gave, you know, that, uh, then adultery occurred with Bathsheba. Now, she becomes with child. Now, some people look at that and they, they think that, well, maybe this was something that had occurred over time, given the nature of the way that these things work, and that she conceived a child. I don't know. I don't necessarily get that from the text. Maybe this was a one-time thing. I don't know. But, but consequences have happened, and, and then... In order to try to rectify that himself, it leads David to do other things. So a couple of things I didn't mention was in that chapter, he brings Uriah back from the the soldier and and tries to get him to go to his house and return to his wife. The idea being that, well, uh, Uriah will will sleep with her and then everyone will think and he'll think that the child is his. Well, Uriah proves himself to be the real deal. Very loyal, the subject in there, and he doesn't fall for that. So then... David comes up with this next plot to try to do that, and he's going to, to make Uriah drunk and then send him home where his judgment's impaired. And, and then maybe he'll be there and he'll sleep with his wife, and then everything will be, be fine. The sin will not be uncovered. But again, Uriah shows himself to be true uh, to his king, and he doesn't do that either. He doesn't return home even when that drunkenness. So then, of course, that leads infamously for David to do what he did to rectify the situation in that he, he sends Uriah out back to Joab in the battlefield. Uriah carries the message 
that are his own, is his own death orders. And Joab reads it, and it's to get out in the heat of the battle, and when they're there, the army is to pull back from Uriah. And the result of that being that the army of the people of Ammon will slay Uriah, and that's exactly what happened there. So, it is good that David was willing at the end, when Nathan confronted him, to repent of his sin. That's something he also should have done earlier. He could have done that at any step of the way in this process, and it would have avoided all the stuff that came afterwards. But he did not. He tries to approach the problem, and instead of turning to God and giving that over to him, he tries to fix the problem himself, and in his own way. And, uh, uh, and look what all happened to that. David said no to all the things he should have said yes to, and he said yes to all the things that he should have said no to. And it, it shows you that Satan, and the way he had done this with David originally, you know, he shows you the pleasure. He doesn't show you the consequences. I just can't imagine when David was on that rooftop looking at Bathsheba, that at that moment he would have ever thought that he would have had Uriah killed. I just don't think, but it builds itself one after another. And in consist continuing in sin, let him down that pathway. So, and you see the way that Uriah acted. I, like I said, Uriah was the real deal. I mean, he was one of good, mighty, loyal men. Uh, David should have felt rebuked by Uriah's integrity. Uriah was showing himself to be better than David. And then you, you get to the end of chapter 11, right? And you look at this. Uriah is killed. Bathsheba becomes David's wife. The child is born. Some amount of time passes there. Everything looks to be taken care of. And you get to the end of chapter 11 and you come across some of the most haunting words that you find in Scripture. It says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord, or some translations might say was evil in the sight of the Lord. And that really mattered. So, we get to where Nathan confronts him. And David has really messed his life up. His character is blasted. His peace is gone. Lord has been blasphemed. Lord is displeased. His enemies are strengthened. And his kingdom is imperiled. So, I want to make a few points, uh, more points, uh, in regards to this. But uh, um, since we've come to the end of chapter 11, I want to uh, pause right here. Let's open it up. Does anyone have any thoughts, anything going through their mind that they want to contribute? I want this class to be, we've got a lot to cover, but I want it to be interactive. Glenn. Do you think Bathsheba bore any of the responsibility for the sin? You know, that's a very interesting question, Glenn. That's one that I've really wrestled with uh, on that some. So she was bathing at, at, at the window. She didn't have to be, of course, and set her, uh, the temptation up for David that way. And, you know, as adultery, she has her part. However, I mean, David was the king, and it says initially that he called for her. I don't know if she knew why at the time. So 
Yes, maybe so, but there would have been, I think, a lot more pressure on her side, maybe is one thing to say, than maybe it was on David's. I do know that, like, if you go to Psalm 51, where David's writing through there, right, it's very interesting to me on David. Uh, you know, 2 Samuel really talks about a lot from David's side, not so much from Bathsheba's side, even though Bathsheba suffered consequences for it. That's another thing. The sin, uh, sins of this magnitude, of course, hurt others as well ourselves, and she suffered greatly with David along with that. But you know, David in Psalm 51 is always describing himself and how he displeased the Lord. You don't see him mention Bathsheba, there, which I think is really interesting. Uh, David did not try to blame her for what happened there. That was all on himself. And when we get to that, because whether we'll get to it today, we may not, but next week for sure we will step through Psalm 51 pretty... Um, um, Studiously, I guess. So. Joseph and Potiphar's wife and Bathsheba and David. Joseph is applauded because he, he just ran away. Right. Uh, I agree uh, with that, Glenn. I think uh, so. Glenn's asking about Joseph and Potiphar's wife, and there's some points of comparison there. Well, I think there is. I think David could have learned from, from Joseph. He certainly, I think, would have had to have heard that story. With Bathsheba? Bathsheba had been more like Joseph. Could she be? Joseph was owned by Potiphar. This is true. Joseph would have been under a lot of pressure there himself. So, yeah, maybe she should have run away from that as well, you know, there. So, um, that's interesting to think about. Uh, that's, that's good conversation. Glenn's been trying to bring up what about Bathsheba's role in this and what do you think it was. And, and it's good to discuss. Like I said, the scripture does not really just lay it out uh, for us. But it's interesting to think and ponder about, I think. I do think in Psalm 51, like I said, I think it does speak well of David there that he did not try to put that off on her. But it was you know, himself before God and what he had done. Yes, Cindy. Okay, so what Cindy's bringing up, there's been some talk even among the brotherhood that maybe this wasn't just a consensual affair. Maybe this was a case of rape that was going here and Bathsheba bore no blame. I can't go that far because the text doesn't. And it's not like Second Samuel would be afraid to talk about that subject as we see a couple of chapters later with Ammon. So I don't tend to, tend to think so. Uh, with that, and given the relationship that David and Bathsheba had after this, would also, like you said, not lend that to be the case. That's an interesting point too, Cindy. I hadn't thought of that one. That's that's uh, that's good. Anyone else? Jerry. So Jerry throws out a possibility that's said by some that if David had repented by the time that the infant was born, that maybe God would have spared the infant's life. It seemed like that God was giving David some time. Um, I don't know. The text doesn't say it, and that's just all, like you said, Jerry, conjecture. I can't step out that far. 
Yes. All right, so we have a comment here saying about how tough it would be to say no to the king, you know, in that, that scenario. Anyone else? Bill. I made mention of that there. You know, some people interpret it, though. I've heard people say that. And, of course, you know, it, if you could say, well, maybe he was being idle. Now, I don't know how necessarily you could be king and be <laughs> idle at the same time. But maybe that should have been, if he had been at the battle, of course, this wouldn't have happened. That's true over there. But um, I tried to go, and that only is as far as I can go on there. Maybe that's possible on there. But then, like I said, he may have just been minding his own business, and temptation comes to See that way, that happens to both things happen. Anyone else? Gene. Yeah, so he's talking about first John talking about the sins, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and what make one wise, yeah. So you could see that in play here. Okay, let's let's move forward for a few other things here. So another thing that David shows, and I think this is something that we may really need to sit and think about some. With David. David had been described as a man after God's own heart leading up to this. And I presume that that was true. He wasn't that in this case, of course. Not at this time, but he had been. I think that goes to show you that sin can affect righteous people uh, in that as well. You know, sometimes when you're talking about sins of the magnitude that what David was was into, um, you know, it might be easy to say, well, maybe there was some you know, weakness, some sin in his life all the way through that led to it. Well, that might could be true, but how do you know that for sure? You know, and David was described as being righteous, you know, before that. So I have to take that that was um, the case. But, uh, you know, people really wrestle with that idea. And I've seen people do it. They, They have a hard time trying to say that David is a man after God's own heart. I mean, look what he did and committed in that. That just doesn't... Add up, and like I said, well, it's true that he wasn't that at the time. But they, people really wrestle with that, and I, I think that they miss the point some in trying to do it. Like I said, it is possible for a righteous man to then, in, in weakness, turn into sin. But I think from the lesson from this, and particularly with adultery, that I see, and this is my take on it, if a man who is described as a man after God's own heart, can fall for this temptation and this sin, brethren, you and I have no business being anywhere near it. They don't even set it up where that could be possible or sins that would lead to that. Stay away from it as much as you can. Um, James 1, verses 13 through 15 describes sin. Uh, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when sin is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. It shows the process by which that happens there. So just kind of like for an illustration, maybe this can resonate with you. 
Sin, I heard somebody describe this, I thought this was really, really good, that sin and temptation is kind of like a tiger kitten. You get this tiger kitten, it's cute, it's cuddly, it's beautiful, and, 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 and you keep it around with you because you like it, and that's kind of the way that temptation is, right? You know, it can be attractive. For instance, I keep it around, this is my pet sin uh, that I have that no one knows, uh, knows about, but uh, what happens? Then, of course, that tiger grows into an adult, and what happens? It slays you. It brings forth death. And sin works that way. In the lives that we, we uh, uh, let it sit around and so forth. So something that I was thinking about in looking for this, so I mentioned adultery and said don't fall for it. But, and you may say, okay, well, Ben, I understand, yeah, we got to be on guard for that because, I mean, you're talking about lust and, and, and that's common. And, you know, I, my life I've seen examples where that's happened even with Christians. So, yeah, you're right on target, Ben. But, but, but David, I mean, he wasn't just guilty of that. I mean, this guy was guilty of murder. Like, you can't get much worse than murder. Being in there, right? And one thing to be careful of, when we get to, to David and look at these sins here that are described there, we get tempted to try to distance ourselves from David quite a bit because of what these sins and what we feel like there. Just to uh, pause on it, before we start putting ourselves on a much higher pedestal than David, even with regard to this murder thing, I want you to think about this. True, okay, you might not feel that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be tempted to kill somebody or anything like that. Well, but what if you were desperate? And what if you were king? And you don't have to worry about jail or death penalty or anything like that. You have absolute power. You can just take care of this little problem. Then maybe that sin might get to be a bigger temptation than you'd think. I'll say this. If you look throughout world history, it is full of leaders and rulers that would have looked at what David had done and would have laughed at it because they're guilty of so many more atrocities than that. I'm not trying to negate what David did. It's very serious. But it is a temptation that's not uncommon to man is what I'm saying throughout history. And... Even with this, the principle still applies that in order to be people after God's own heart and not to fall into the temptations that David did, we got to guard our heart. That's true of adultery. We see Jesus talked about you had to guard your heart from lust. That's true of murder. Where does murder originate? In the heart. Jesus said you've got to guard your heart from anger and hate, yes, but in David's case, you guard your heart from covetousness, from fear of exposure, all that stuff that led to, uh, to what he had done. So even in a situation, doing what would have pleased God should have been the guiding course of his life. And David knew this. We're talking about someone who knew the law, who had loved the law, we're talking about someone who was divinely inspired in writing scriptures for psalms and, and prophecy. He knew it, but it isn't good enough to just know it. One has to apply it as well. In this case, see, he had not uh, done that. So I'll pause again here. Any comments or questions? We had a good round of them last time. Anyone want to add anything else? Jerry. Jerry. 
He was king. He could do anything he wanted to and get by with it. Right. But why was he so anxious to cover up his affair with the Hmm. Very interesting, Jerry. Brings out a question to challenge me on this. I like it, Jerry. <laughs> but uh, if David was king, he had absolute power. Then why was he so anxious to cover up this sin? He knew he couldn't hide it from God. He was obviously trying to cover it up from others, too, uh, in that. And, uh, you know, you look at the consequences of that, and like I said, he took care took care of that. Let me put that in quotation marks. Um, it wasn't just Uriah that died. If you looked at the scripture closely in chapter 11, there were some other men in that army that died as well. Um, in that, So we're really talking about several men. Um, maybe he feared his reputation in that. You know, maybe it would have impacted his rule. Some. We'll find out it certainly did impact, impact the way that he ran his family. Good thought, Jerry. Look at that. That's just me rambling on, so I'm just saying that. Yes? saying is that being a man after God's own heart is not perfection. And then of course it's impossible. So synonymous with terms like walking in the light. So I look at that phrase and I think of being a man being after God's own heart as a man having a heart that's in tune with God uh, and his desires. Good comment there, Bill. Yes. seeking a man with which to do that. Uh, but of course, you know, in studying David, and not in this instance, of course, but in a lot of areas of his life, I mean, you can see how God had affected it, you know, and, and, and as a godly man and so forth, and the way that he lived his life um, as well. Anyone else? All right, Jerry. When we talk about David and how great he is and how he had this sin, we kind of, some of us kind of, you know, uh, 
I think that's a good uh, point there, Jerry. We talk about what happened to David, describing his relationship with God, and yet we read about what befell him in sin. What does that think about us? Does that make us afraid, you know, and so forth? I will leave that kind of open-ended there. We'll come back around to some things about that. So, Anyone else? I like this. I get a lot of good comments in the class today. Hold on, Jake. Yes, I mean. So maybe David tried to hide his uh, sin because of his shame. Uh, I don't know from Second Samuel how much that is true. You know, it took Nathan confronting him to be able to get him out of that. But then, if Psalm 32 was talking about his sin with Bathsheba, and I don't know that it is or not. There's some comments in there that make make it feel like that it was affecting him emotionally and so forth. Yes, Colleen. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Great comment, Colleen. Talking about how great a friend that Nathan was to David. We talked about Jonathan last week. He was, but man, Nathan is a great example to study. Yeah, God provided him. As well, let's get to David there. So, if I had more time in this class, we would have talked about Nathan more in it. But uh, my time is only allotted so much. So, yes, Mike. Um, I would suggest that maybe this case of, of David uh, deceiving himself mm. about the sin, he, uh, I, think, I think that lies in the hearts of, of all of us. Sometimes we deceive ourselves and we try to conform uh, the way we perceive something uh, to make ourselves feel better about something that, that that should not be the case. Perhaps David had deceived himself in, in thinking that uh, if I sort of cover this up, then I can perceive I, I would not really feel guilty. When when Nathan comes to him and tells him what he's done, and David does. a great one. Of course, we talked about how David had deceived Uriah and all some of those other people there, but the deception extended elsewhere, and that's to himself as well, about his sin and how awful that that was, and it may, since he had suffered no consequences from it, really, though he was, but he felt like he wasn't guilty of that until it was pointed out to him by Nathan, and then you see David immediately repent there. So that's a great point, Mike. I think it's certainly applicable and something we all should take into consideration in our own lives. Anyone else? Okay, let's keep going then. Let's get to 12 here. So uh, Nathan confronts David with a parable, beautiful parable in the Old Testament. He knew David. He thought carefully how to approach it. Maybe God had instructed him on what to say. And it appeals to David. And one thing you can say, you can see David's good characteristics 
as Nathan confronts this parable about the lamb and the rich man taking the poor man's lamb and serving it up for dinner. And you can see it gets that righteous indignation stirred up in David, you know, to deal with it. And, of course, then you have that dramatic instance where David confronts him and says to David, you are the man. And it hits David home really bad. And so then we have the pronouncement that's done on David. I will take time to read this here real quick. Verses 7 through 14 of chapter 12. No, don't do this to me. Ah, okay. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son for you did it secretly that I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. It's interesting, it strikes me when reading the pronouncement that God is laying out to David, it sounds a lot like when God later is relaying to the Israelites and they've been disobedient to him. You're reading the prophets. And he's kind of saying the same type of things to them that he's saying to David here. The, the difference is David will listen to it and change his mind, right? Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? The Lord says all that he had done for David and he had despised it, what he would do for David. He said how he'd blasphemed, given the enemies of the Lord the occasion to blaspheme. You see God say that kind of stuff to his people at times for the Old Testament. So, Sin has consequences. And here's a list of them that I've got specifically to David. Loss of a child. It's very interesting in his reaction to that parable, David said that the man should restore fourfold. How many of David's sons that we know of died prematurely? Infant, Ammon, Absalom. I'll count Adonijah in that as well. Text doesn't make the connection, but it is kind of interesting to think of it. Then uh, the loss of the child, we have Amnon and uh, violating Tamar. We have the situation where brother hates brother, Absalom and Amnon. Then brother murders brother. Then we have Absalom conspire against the throne and tries to take it from David. The marital infidelity that God told would happen came to pass. Uh, then we have Joab killing Absalom. And others might not add this, but I'll go ahead and add this to later on. We have Adonijah tries to take the throne from Solomon and is later killed. So all those consequences, which, you know, one repents of sin, but there's still consequences that have to follow. And that will be a point we'll make next week in this as well. And so one of the things that strikes me, you know, this is the stuff that we should avoid. This is the stuff that David should have avoided. Preventative teaching is so much better than corrective teaching um, there. So let us take that and um, 
let us learn from that. But we have to ask ourselves then now, what did David do right that we can learn from? And We've got to do that as well because, yeah, we could talk about how we should have avoided all of this, but the fact of the matter is it did happen. And stuff has to go on after this. And what did David do? What will display his heart as a man after God's own heart in this context? What can we learn from that in our lives and uh, in our situations? So that is a good place for me to stop right there. So that still means we have a lot to cover next week, but we want to get to, to that side of it as well. So in the time that we have remaining, are there any other comments or questions that anyone wants to bring up? with, it's God. He knew he had sinned against him. It's also interesting, you know, that you might have thought this was light and that the army, you know, you think Ammonite army killed Uriah, right? But, but in that pronouncement, God specifically says that David had killed Uriah and he had a weapon. And his weapon of choice was the sword of the people of Ammon. And just to something that I think about, you know, and that is, you think about rulers today or even in our own government, what does God think about authorities that use policies that have a front to them but are intended to harm or to kill innocent people. What would he think of that? I know he didn't think too kindly to this that's listed here. So, so anyway, we have that there. Now for next week, what I'm going to want to do is we're going to look at a standpoint from how David reacted to this and how that showed his heart, right? And I want to look at, we'll look at that with ourselves but we also want to look that, at that with others. You know, in those that are going through the consequences of grievous sin and how we want to reach out to them and what they should do in their lives. I would point him to David. David shows what must be done. It must be done in our own lives and sin that we deal with there. We're going to detail a look through Psalm 51. And after we do that, I'm going to briefly just read through some other penitent psalms. Not do much commentary on them. But just read through 32, 38, maybe 103. See David's... Um, attitude there, and then try to apply it to our lives and what we can learn from it. So that's what class is going to be next week as we get there. So please, like I said, come back. You don't want to miss it. You're dismissed. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest. Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.